Welcome to the Real Life English Podcast, where we help dedicated English learners just like you cultivate the courage, the confidence, and the skills that you need to understand real life native English, to communicate clearly with people from all around the world, and to make your life an epic global adventure. Now, are you ready to go beyond the classroom and start living your English? Can I get an aww, yeah? In today's podcast episode, we've rounded up some of the most common mistakes that language learners make in English. This list also includes many areas that learners often ask us to clarify for them across our channels. These include the most common pronunciation and grammar mistakes, so we'll be talking about these and explaining how to avoid continuously making them. There is so much to cover in this topic that we've also made a special bonus lesson for you over on our Instagram at reallife.english. So to learn more, check that out once you finish listening to this podcast. Yeah, boys and girls, citizens of the world, this is Ethan from Real Life English, where we believe that listening to podcasts is a fun, natural, convenient, and sunshiny way to learn English. So download this podcast and listen to it while you're stuck in traffic, riding the bus, doing some last minute Black Friday shopping, or even at the beauty salon getting your mani pedi. <laughs> so I'm joined here in the virtual Barcelona studio, as always, by the lovely Andrea. How's it going, Andrea? It's going well, thank you. The sun is shining today, hence my <laughs> my adjective in the intro. <laughs> yeah. Is that a real word, sunshine? Do you know what? I don't know if it's in the dictionary. I'm curious <laughs> to know, but I mean, it's probably a made-up word, but we use it a lot, don't we? We kind mm. of like... We've, we've turned it into an adjective that way. Isn't there like a song even that's like says it's going to be mm. a bright, 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 sunshiny day? Exactly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Did you need to get a mani-pedi before your Black Friday shopping? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't actually had a mani-pedi for a while. I think for the last time was towards the end of summer. But yeah, we say mani-pedi when we mean a manicure and a pedicure, which mm -hmm. is when you get your nails done either on your hands, that's the manicure, and a pedicure for your feet. Yeah, not much fun getting a pedicure in the winter, is it? No, not really, because <laughs> we're always wearing closed shoes, so no one gets right. to see your, your lovely pedicure. My mom's routine always when she goes down to Mexico or something for holidays or comes over here and you're at the beach, then it's like the excuse is you have to get a pedicure so you can show off your nice painted toenails. Yeah, definitely. It's important <laughs> during summer. All right, so... We're talking all today about mistakes, like maybe if you made the mistake of getting a pedicure in the winter while you're wearing all closed, <laughs> <laughs> closed shoes. But before we get into that, we have a shout out to a very special listener and app user. Yeah, so we have a five-star review from Daniela Santos, and she says, I've been using the app for three months, which has been a marvelous experience. Listening to the podcast allows me to identify the difference between English accents, because Andrea and Ethan have a wonderful way to teach us about how to transform the experience of learning English into something fun. Thank you all for this app and for the lessons. Ah, yeah. Oh, that's a fantastic 
review. And it's funny because she said marvelous, which I think was also in last week's shout out, wasn't it? Yeah, I was just going to say, I remember I remember talking about marvelous last week. <laughs> People must be marveling at the app, at the podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's really great stuff to hear. Yeah, maybe they've heard it on the podcast as well before <laughs> and it's now part of their speech. <laughs> exactly. It could be. If you want us to shout you out, like we have Daniela today, then you might want to give our app a try. You can listen to this podcast with a full interactive transcript, you can learn all of the most important vocabulary, and then you can go over and press a button and practice your speaking instantly with another learner in another part of the world anytime and anywhere. So not only will you take your English listening to the next level so that you can understand natives no matter how fast we speak, but you will also get to actually start using your English to speak with other people and make friends, discover new cultures. What else could you ask for? So the best part is it's absolutely free. I don't know what you're waiting for. If you haven't tried it yet, go over to the Google Play Store or Apple App Store and search for Real Life English, and you can download it right away. And if you enjoy it, then you can leave us a five-star review, and we might shout you out just like we have for Daniela today. So that said, we have a burning question before we jump into today's main topic about common mistakes. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Ethan. This is Sachin from India. Hope you guys are doing great. First off, you guys are really doing super amazing work, providing the world-class material for English learners for free. And Andrea, the way you construct the sentences is literally wow. You keep your sentences short, sweet, and crisp. This really makes your speech so effective. And uh, Ethan, the way you use beautiful vocabularies, expressions, and all that jazz in every single podcast blows my mind, man. It's wow. So now, uh, talking about my problem, whenever I'm asked something new that I've never been asked before in English, then I feel lost. Though I know about the topic in the back of my mind, but I'm not able to construct the sentences. And uh, I'm not able to coordinate my flow of thoughts with my tongue, articulation muscles, and even my vocal cord. So, uh, in short, the problem is that uh, I'm not able to construct the sentences at the moment. So, uh, guys, please help me out in figuring out this issue. I'd be really grateful to you. Okay, then. Um, thank you, Miss. Thank you for listening to me and have a great day. I really like Sachin's way of speaking. has a really beautiful accent. Yeah, he does. And yeah, it was so lovely. Thank you for your, <laughs> thank you for your comments as well. And, and the compliments. Thank you for, <laughs> yes, all the compliments too. We're really glad that we we're able to help you. And thank you so much for sending in your question. And before we answer that, if any of our listeners have burning questions as well that they just can't seem to solve no matter how much they try, uh, where can they send those? So all you have to do, just like Sachin did, is send us an audio with your name, where you're from, and your burning question, and email it to me, andrea at reallifeglobal.com. Great. So he asked a really great question. It sounds like he gets a little bit tongue-tied or he freezes up a bit when he's kind of put on the spot, right? When people ask him a question and maybe there's, this happens to a lot of learners because there's kind of the pressure, the stress of the, the moment. Maybe it's asking about a topic that you're not so confident talking about, you're lacking some vocabulary in. So any ideas of some things that he can do to when he gets tongue-tied? 
Yeah, I think there are some useful things you can do. I mean, first of all, there is no problem if you're not sure and you need a bit more time to collect your thoughts, to ask the person to repeat the question. Maybe that's going to give you some extra time to think about what you want to respond. Also, another great way when responding to questions, when someone's asking you something, is to take part of the question as the first part of your response because then that also gives you a bit more time. It's also kind of helping you to digest what they're asking um, and to formulate, like to construct a response. I think that's really useful to do as well. Yeah. And you don't want to overuse it, but you can say something like, oh, well, that's a good question. Let me think about that for a second. You don't want to, if you're in an interview or something, you don't want to probably say that with every single question. But if there's one that you're feeling like is a bit tricky, I think there's no problem in asking for a little bit of time. And and, I mean, it's always nice to hear that's a good question, you know? Yeah. And you can even ask, you know, if, if maybe you don't quite understand the question as well, you could ask the person, oh, what exactly do you mean? Or like, can you rephrase the question? Mm-hmm. And maybe they can explain it in a different way. And then again, that's going to help you then to figure out a response. Yeah. Those survival phrases, we've, we did a podcast a while back. We can link that in the show notes uh, on survival phrases. And these are phrases that you can use in these kind of situations when you freeze up, when you don't understand. Because you don't want to say, I don't understand. It sounds a little bit it kind of points out, you know, that you're a learner and maybe that it's actually like something about the the language that you didn't understand. And even though this is the case, that's maybe not the perspective that you're wanting to give to the person. So if instead you say, what do you mean? That's kind of a way of saying, oh, can you rephrase it in another way? Or you could even directly say like, oh, can you ask that in another way? I didn't quite get your point. I didn't quite catch it. Uh, anything like this is better than just saying, I don't understand or I didn't understand. Uh, so that's, I mean, that makes sense for today's lesson. That could be a, a mistake that a lot of learners make, right? Is, is saying, I didn't understand. I don't understand. Um, and I think also if you notice that there's like a pattern of certain type of questions that trip you up, that get you tongue-tied, that get you into this situation like Sachin described, then you can practice those when you're on your own at home, you know, think about different ways that you would respond. If you need even, you could like write out a response or think out a response in your native language and then translate it to English. Uh, if that if that helps your thought process, there's no shame in that. And I think there's a lot of these different strategies that you can kind of practice at home. So then when you go out and you actually have conversations, you'll feel more confident in talking about that. So that said, we want to help you to avoid other common mistakes like this. So let's jump into today's main topic. Hey there, Real Lifer. Have you downloaded the Real Life English app yet? On the app, Andrea and I will guide you beyond the classroom to live, learn, and even speak English in the real world. So how do we do this? To start with, you can listen to the Real Life English podcast and Beyond Borders talk show, even this very episode, with digital transcripts so that you can follow along and develop your listening fluency. Plus, check dozens of definitions of all the most difficult vocabulary, idioms, phrasal verbs, slang, and so much more that you won't find anywhere else or in any other podcast. And how would you like to develop real-life speaking confidence at the touch of a button by speaking with other learners while making friends across cultures? Sounds like a dream, right? Well, now with the Real Life app, it will be a dream come true. 
Download the app to listen to our podcast with transcripts and definitions whenever and wherever you want, and speak with people from all around the world. What are you waiting for? Join our global community today by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by going to www.reallifeglobal.com slash app, that's A-P-P, or simply search for the Real Life English app in the Google Play or Apple App Store today and let us guide you beyond the classroom to live and learn and speak English in the real world. Ah, yeah. So what's the first common mistake, Andrea? So the first one is a really interesting one. And I didn't even know about this until I moved to Spain. And I remember <laughs> it was one of the first things I, I learned. I have some funny stories, but um, they are called false friends. Mm -hmm. So this is when words sound similar to English in other languages as well, but they have a different meaning. So you'd think that like a word that sounds similar to English or to like your native language, you'd think that it means the same thing, but they don't. That's why they're called false friends. Mm -hmm. You might have also heard them called false cognates. I think that's false friends is like the more colloquial term. False cognates yeah. is probably like the technical term that you'll hear in a textbook, for example. Um, but yeah, this happens especially because English has a lot of its roots come from Germanic languages and from Latin languages, from French primarily. So we have a lot of words that carry over, but that with the passing of time have changed their meanings in the two different languages. And so this can kind of lead to misunderstandings because maybe that word still exists in English, but it's taken on a new meaning. Yeah, because like I remember in my first few months here, someone telling me that they were like constipado or something. And I was like, what? You're constipated. Like, you know, like TMI, too much information. Why are you telling me that? So I learned really early, which was good so that I didn't, I didn't make that error. Yeah. I learned very early on that that actually means when, you know, like when you have a cold and you're mm -hmm. kind of congested mm -hmm. and stuff, whereas constipated in English is when you can't go to the bathroom. Right. <laughs> it's very different. <laughs> Which isn't something you tend to tell people openly. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had the same situation happen in like when I first moved here, that someone said that, or I was trying, I think I was trying, I was a little bit congested and I was trying to look for the word and I was like, no, I'm not constipated. <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> Another funny one as well that I hear a lot here is embarazada. So mm -hmm. people tend to think that this means embarrassing because it does sound quite similar, but it's not the truth. Um, because if you, if you are embarazada, you are pregnant. So right. again, <laughs> very different. Yeah. The other one, another one that I've heard also Americans make the mistake with is wanting soap, you know, and saying ah. sopa, which means soup in Spanish. Don't want to wash yourself with some chicken noodle soup in the shower. Probably won't yeah. <laughs> really get the effect that you're looking for. I think that's even a tricky one here for pronunciation because of the O-U sound in Catalan. It's the O sound, isn't it? So mm -hmm. people kind of read the word soup as soap as well. Yeah. Yeah. Could happen the other way as well, yeah. And this happens in a lot of Latin languages especially, but in a lot of different languages. Uh, another example is in Portuguese, something I've heard Brazilians make the mistake is if you say esquisito, I think, it's the right pronunciation is like 
means that you're weird, like or something's weird. Whereas exquisite in English means that something mm-hmm. is like very fancy or perfect or something like that. So they're almost opposite meanings, right? So you could tell if you were to tell someone, you know, that their cooking was really exquisite, that's a good thing in English. But if you did it in Portuguese, then they might feel insulted. Oh yeah, that's really, that's another one. Like I didn't know because I don't speak Portuguese, but again, like you said, it can happen in many languages. Let us know as well if it happens in your languages, if this has ever happened to you as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I found a couple in French as well. Uh, So like envie in French means like that you desire something. If you have envie, it means you desire something. It doesn't mean that you're envious, which Envy in English means jealousy. So that could be one that's confusing. Uh, it happens a lot with French. Also, like another funny one, we talked about like constipated and, and constipado. In French, there's one like a brassiere in English is what women wear on their chest for support. But if you were to say a similar word, which is uh, brasserie, I don't know my pronunciation. I'm, I'm definitely butchering the pronunciation there, but that's a brewery. So you wouldn't want to confuse those two. Yeah, that's a really funny one because we don't really say, we, we kind of shorten this word in English, don't we, to say bra, but the full word. So right. it's kind of um, an abbreviation, isn't it? We say bra, but it's brazier or brazier. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how people pronounce it. So yeah, that's a good one to know too. Don't get those <laughs> confused. <laughs> false friends are always fun. Uh, you can just go look up for your language if there's any false friends in English mm. and um You'll find lists of these, I'm sure. Obviously, for languages that are less related, it's probably not going to be as much of a problem. But English just is such a it's such like a melting pot of a language that we've adopted words from a lot of different languages, and maybe a lot of them have changed their meaning. So it can definitely just be good to be aware if there are any of these from your language and that you're not going to make that mistake. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right. Uh, what's the next mistake that learners commonly make? So the next one is quite important because I actually watched a video, I think it was this morning, of someone making this error and the mistake could be disastrous, especially <laughs> if you're getting your hair cut, for example. But I'll, I'll mention, I'll go into more detail about that after, but it's the comparative and the superlative. So basically adjectives with two syllables can form the comparative by adding er or by saying more before the adjective. So for example, you could say that someone is more greedy than someone else or they are greedier. Mm -hmm. So you are comparing two things. Um, And then the superlative is when you add est or you say most before the adjective. So you would say funniest instead of just that it's funny, you would say it's funniest or it's the most funny. So that means that it can't get any funnier than Mm -hmm. that. That's the superlative. Right. And learners confuse this often because in in many other languages, you'll just maybe use the equivalent of more plus adjective, or maybe it's, there's another way of constructing this, but in English we have both. And depending on the word as well, it can only be one or the other, right? So you can't say, for example, funner, it has to be more fun for the the comparative, right? Yeah, exactly. And you shouldn't use more or most as well as the comparative or the superlative. So you can't say the it, that person is more greedier 
you would basically <laughs> say more greedy or greedier. And you don't say that something is the most funniest either, because <laughs> then it's like emphasizing it even yeah. more. You just need one or the other. And I think that's where the confusion can happen as well. Definitely. So what was the story that you were hinting at at the hair salon? Yeah, so I don't think it was a true story. I think it was like a funny take on something, but it's good to know. So it was someone that was kind of preparing to go and get their hair cut and they they learned that they wanted to say, I want my hair to be shorter. But then what they actually said was, I want my hair to be shortest. <laughs> so instead of just getting like a trim, just getting their hair cut a little bit for it to be shorter, they got it super, super short because they said the shortest it can be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could definitely get you into trouble. I, I could imagine maybe going into an Indian restaurant or a Mexican restaurant and maybe you want to say they would like your food to be a little bit hotter, which hot can also mm -hmm. be spicy, right? In English. Yeah. And if you've said you want it to be the hottest, then they might bring you like the, you know, the level nine spicy sauce and you're going to end up burning your entire mouth. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so even with food as well, it's important. I love how you changed it to food, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But yeah, it's true. Food's always on the mind. <laughs> All right. So next we have something else that we've noticed a lot of learners will do, and this is another mistake that carries over from your native language, potentially, is pluralizing adjectives. So what exactly does this mean, Andrew? Yeah, so adjectives in English, whether you're talking about many things, we don't use it in the plural form. So for example, if you're talking about a five-star hotel, you wouldn't say five stars hotel, even though you can see that it has five stars, so there's more than one. We, we don't pluralize the adjective here, which is star. We don't add the S there, even though it's five stars. Um, we would say a five-star hotel, that you're staying in a five-star hotel. Right. The same way you couldn't say, like, these are my favorite shoes or something like that, because we don't, you never make the, the adjective plural. It just doesn't exist in English. So you wouldn't say, I don't know, yellows shoes. You wouldn't say favorites shoes. You wouldn't say um, uncomfortables shoes. So it's always just singular whether it's favorite shoes, mm -hmm. yellow shoes, uncomfortable shoes. Exactly. And you probably even notice when you're saying it that it's difficult to say sometimes and it doesn't sound yeah. quite right. Yeah. So like, I think it just depends on the adjective. Sometimes it can be a little bit more tricky, mm -hmm. but just keep in mind that we don't pluralize the adjectives and then you can avoid making this mistake. Right. And I think reading can be really useful for well, both of these that we've seen, the pluralizing adjectives, the comparative superlative, and a lot of the other mistakes we'll talk about because you actually see it written down. So you'll never see, you know, uh, adjective and plural, for example. And if you're, if you're reading, um, if you're getting that input a lot, then you'll just get used to seeing it, that they're, they're never in plural. And that should translate to your speech eventually. Yeah, and I think it's probably a good point to mention a lesson that you made on the Real Life English channel about mistake fossilization. Right. Something that happens to a lot of learners is you get so used to making mistakes, especially when it's something that comes from translating something from your language. This is one reason why translation can be dangerous in some sense. Dangerous is a bit of a, an exaggeration, but um, because 
they can kind of get fossilized, which means that they get stuck into your, your learning because you're so used to saying it that way. And then you really have to work to get that out to, to stop making that mistake. So that can be a useful one for you to watch because you can get more example of common mistakes like this and get tips on how you can pull those out of your, your speech or out of your communication in English. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really important because we just get used to it and then we can, we get comfortable with making those mistakes. So it's really useful not to fall into that trap and then to figure out a way, you know, to, to avoid doing that. Right. So we can link that in the show notes as well, which are linked in the description. Be sure to check that out after you finish listening or, or even right now if you're able to. All right. So what's the next mistake? So the next one is a pronunciation mistake uh, based on long and short vowel sounds. Mm -hmm. So again, like depending on your native language, maybe some of these sounds don't exist. And so you find them more difficult to pronounce and you Mm -hmm. can end up kind of mixing up words as well or it with certain words it not sounding so great or maybe you're offending someone (laughs) yeah in english we have all sorts of these short vowel sounds like uh most people have heard of uh is like the schwa sound but we also have eh, eh, and those sounds don't exist in every language in many languages they don't and it can cause mix-ups and this is like a really common fossilized mistake as well is that people get so Mm -hmm. used to just saying the long vowel because that's the only one they have that it's really good early on if you can already practice making these sounds that don't exist in your native language so that you can, you're not fossilizing that mistake. You're not getting used to saying words in the wrong way and causing miscommunications, causing people to understand you the wrong way. So, Mm -hmm. um, there's a really great example of this. There's a story called the Italian that went to Malta, which is all about an Italian guy that goes to Malta, which is an English speaking country in the Mediterranean and making a lot of mistakes based on not having the short vowel sounds in Italian and trying to say words. So for example, the most common is that, uh, maybe you want to go to the beach, right? And Mm -hmm. a lot of people might confuse that with the, the short vowel and say bitch, which is an insult instead. Yeah. So technically a bitch is a female dog, isn't it really? But That's it's right, actually yeah. a derogatory term. Yeah. It's, it's an insult. Um, if you call someone a bitch, um, then you're calling them maybe a nasty person or various, yeah, various, uh, things like that. <laughs> so it's very different. So it's important, you know, if, if you're asking someone, oh, where is the beach or something like that to really emphasize that longer vowel sound and not make this error. Right. And I don't know, on the other hand, on the other side of things, this happens for some reason with a lot of curse words that have like the short, the short vowel sound. So we won't go too much into that right now, but another example could be if you want to say that you traveled somewhere by ship, for example, but if you say you traveled there by sheep, then it sounds like you rode on an animal. A sheep is like the animal that goes bah, yeah. which is probably different in different languages as well. But, um, but these kind of, it happens all the time that there's all these different, different words. And so it's really important that you get down the, the vowel sounds. Just a quick interruption to ask you a question. Do you ever feel frustrated when you are listening to a podcast, watching a TV series, or you are in a conversation in English and you do not understand what is said? Wouldn't it be great if there was some way to understand real English without getting lost and without getting bored? 
Well, now there is. With our Real Life Native Immersion course, we will take you on a 41-week real-life adventure of the English language, each week exploring a different topic connected to our goal to help you understand and use your English in the real world. Just imagine understanding your favorite TV series without subtitles, or confidently speaking with someone and comprehending everything they say. You can do it, and we're here to help. And the best part is, you can try it for free with our three-part power learning series. Just go to reallifeglobal.com slash pod to sign up. That's P-O-D. Or simply click the link in the description of this episode. The next one also has to do with pronunciation. So what's the next mistake that many of our listeners might commonly be making? Yeah, so the next one is the pronunciation of ed at the end of words. So when when conjugating verbs in the past tense, this can be quite tricky because there are three different ways to pronounce these endings in English. And it's something my students struggle with a lot as well. And we, we really try to work on. There are some different tips and tricks there, there's a way of studying this, you know, to try and help you remember the rules, um, which can be quite useful. We made a lesson on this topic on actually the Learn English with TV series YouTube channel. Um, so you can really learn more about it and study this topic by watching that lesson. Totally. We'll link that in the show notes as well. You'll have a lot of homework after listening to this <laughs> podcast, but uh, those will all be really useful for you. And ironing out some of these mistakes, getting rid of them. Um, but yeah, I hear learners also all the time. There's a lot of mistakes with the past tense because we also have irregulars. So that's one thing that you would need to work on. But then even with the regulars, making sure that you're not pronouncing those wrong because I hear all the time learners say, for example, um, instead of saying, I baked a cake. So when we have that K ending, it's, has, it's supposed to be the ED is pronounced as a T, baked. They'll say, I baked a cake. Yeah, or like planned, for example, if you planned a party, mm -hmm. some people might say planned mm -hmm. um, rather than just the d sound. So like you said, it could have the t sound depending on which consonant that word ends with. Sometimes it ends with a t, sometimes it ends with a d, and sometimes it has the id sound. So mm -hmm. that's why it can be quite confusing. Um, some of them are quite clear and some of them are not so clear cut, which is why it's useful to actually spend some time working on this area. Do we have an example with the id? So want would become wanted. Mm -hmm. So you actually have an extra sound there. It's the id sound at the end. Right. Even with connected speech, with uh, how we morph our, our words in English, at least in, I think it would be in both American and British, but we'd say wanted instead of wanted in American English? Yeah, I think a lot of people in the UK would use a glottal T there, so they'd say wanted. 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 Want. <laughs> That's hard. Wanted. 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 <laughs> Sounds like Adele. We just did a lesson on Adele as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Cockney accent. Yes. So uh, we also did a lesson on this though too. We can link to that Adele lesson in the show notes as well have everything you need in the show notes today. And we have one more mistake. Do you want to present this one, Andrea? Yeah, so this is a tricky one as well. It's countable and uncountable nouns. Mm -hmm. So, for example, nouns that are uncountable would not 
be pluralized. So you would say, uh, can you give me more information rather than can you give me more informations? That would be, that would not be correct. Right. I hear all the time that learners will say, can you give me some advices or can you give me some feedbacks, which in English, again, they're uncountable. So we don't say it in the plural, say, can you give me some advice or some feedback? Or you can, if you want to say it singular, um, you'll probably say like a piece of advice or yeah. Can you give me a piece of feedback? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same with news. I think news is one of those tricky words as well Mm -hmm. that confuse um, learners. We actually have a lesson coming up soon on Learn English with TV about how to learn English with the news. And it's something we talk about in that lesson as well. Hmm. So I've even heard people say this word without the S because I think they're just confused (laughs) in their mind about how to say it. So it's like, oh, what what is your new or something? But they want to say, what's your news? Like what's been going on with you? Do you have any news? That kind of thing. So if it's to do with the the news you're watching on TV or talking about things that you've been up to, that you've been doing since the last time you saw someone, Mm -hmm. it will always be the news. And sometimes, yeah, it has the, the article um, Mm -hmm. in front of it. Yeah. And again, you could say like a piece of news if you wanted to say Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're talking about a single one. And often, too, related to this, uh, to countable and countable, I'll notice a lot of learners will confuse many and much. We'll use much with uncountable nouns. So the noun should always be singular. So, uh, for example, I don't have much information or I don't have much advice for you. Um, You would never say, I don't have much information or I don't have much advices. And many is used to describe countable nouns, which means that they're actual things that you can count. So like, you know, books, for example, I have many books on the subject, uh, ideas. I have many ideas I'd like to share with you. Um, you could say that you have many shoes that you love. So when you use many, you should make sure that the noun is always plural. Obviously you can't say that you have many book because you're talking about more than one. Exactly. Yeah. And you wouldn't say that you have much because much is used with the uncountable nouns, just to reiterate it. Mm -hmm. And many is used with countable nouns. So you could have one book, you could have two books, three books, you could have many books. Exactly. Okay. And finally, I think I said that was our last one, but I jumped the gun because we do have one more. And then we have some more on our Instagram, right? At reallife.english. Some more mistakes that learners make all the time that you want to avoid, you want to never make again. So be sure to go and check that out after you finish listening. The final one is the bane of many learners' existence, meaning that most learners hate these. And it's prepositions. Three prepositions. I mean, that's really tricky. It's one of the trickiest things for any language, it's something I still struggle with in, in Spanish and Catalan, is that with, in each language, like the prepositions that you combine with verbs tend to change. So you want to make sure you're not just translating that like with the preposition you would use from your language. So for example, Spanish speakers oftentimes, instead of saying think about, which is, we'll say in English that you have to think about something, they'll say think on because it's pensar en in Spanish. Mm. Um, so make sure that you don't just get in the habit of like directly translating because oftentimes the preposition will be different. 
But that's not the one that I'm talking about. The ones I'm talking about are in, on, and at. Yeah, these are so tricky. And I think we could probably have a dedicated (laughs) podcast episode just on prepositions. Mm -hmm. You've got prepositions of time, prepositions of place. And I get asked this question a lot as well on Instagram during the lives I do and uh, when I'm on stories answering questions. So let us know if you would like us to go into this one in more in depth. But You know, there are some things that you can remember to help. Like, for example, when thinking about prepositions of place or like especially to do with transport, you can think about if whether you're in a car or in a bus or on a bus and things like this. And one thing I always tell my students is if you can be in the transport, in the mode of transport, whether it's a car, a plane, a train or a bus, if you can walk around in it, then you would say that you are on it. So you're on the bus, you can walk on the bus. Well, in you'd walk in the bus <laughs> because you wouldn't walk on top of it. But you'd say, oh, I'm on the bus. If you're speaking to someone, they're like, where are you? I'm on the bus or I'm on the plane or I'm on the train. Mm-hmm. But then you'd be in a car because if you think about the car, it's much smaller you can't walk around in it. You can only sit in the car. Um, because then if you said, oh, I'm on the car, then I think someone would be picturing you <laughs> sit, sitting on top of the car. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Because say you're on a ship, but you don't want to accidentally say that you're on a sheep because that would sound yeah. quite different, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, that with uh, time, it can be useful to think about. And with place, I guess, not with transportation, but... It goes from more general to more specific with most things. There's obviously always exceptions, but this is a really good rule of thumb to have. So uh, talking about places, you'd say you're at the beach, but you would say you're at the beach in Spain, for example, meaning, you know, Spain, country, big, in, at, beach, small, specific place. Um, With time, you could say that your plane leaves at 9 a.m., But if you wanted to talk about something that's more longer term, it's a bigger amount of time, you'd say that you're going to France in a year, meaning that it -hmm. meant a big amount of time one year. So this can be useful to think about is is, um, that in used to, to, in is with the biggest places, the biggest amount of time, on is in the middle, and at is the most specific with both time and places. So like Andrea said, that's a bigger topic to give you a lot more examples with. So let us know if you want a lesson on that, if it's something that trips you up. And if you want solutions to more common mistakes that learners make all the time, then be sure to head over to our Instagram at reallife.english to get some more so you never make those mistakes again. So just to finish off with a little tip as well, I think it's useful to figure out the pronunciation errors that are common for English learners from your native language. That way you can then correct them. So if you specifically look this up, then it's going to help you to learn more about, it's going to help you to learn those specific pronunciation errors that learners of your native language make. And then that's something you can work on as well if it's, you know, if it's something that you want to correct. Yeah. I think along those lines too, it can be really useful to look up what are the sounds in English that don't exist in your native language so that you can work on learning those specific sounds. You can like really train yourself either with a teacher or on your own. There are many different 
resources for this so that you can really have more accuracy with those sounds and not make mistakes that have to do with using the wrong sound or pronouncing things wrong. That's it. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hope that these were useful. Hopefully we've given you solutions to some of the problems, some of the mistakes that you are making often when you communicate in English. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Real Life English Podcast. One, two, three. Aww, yeah. Hey again, I hope you enjoyed today's lesson. Don't be a stranger. You can find all the notes like vocabulary, links, and more for this lesson on our blog at reallifeglobal.com. And connect with us and on Instagram at reallife.english for even more fun English recommendations. Do you want to continue your learning and get confident, fluent English? Then I have a couple great recommendations for you. First of all, check out our YouTube channel, Learn English with TV series, where you can have fun learning to understand fast-speaking natives with your favorite movies, series, and more without getting lost, without missing the jokes, and without subtitles. Second, if you like our podcast, then our real-life native immersion course is perfect for you. It is the next best thing to studying abroad in an English-speaking country. Try it for free with our three-part power learning series. Just go to reallifeglobal.com slash pod to sign up. Finally, if you are enjoying our podcast, then please assist us in helping more people go beyond the classroom and live their English. You can do this by sending a link to this podcast to a friend or by leaving us a five-star review wherever you are listening. We might even shout you out on the podcast. Stay healthy and safe, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Aw, yeah.